the future is prosperous and sustainable. Step into the Building Good podcast with Jen Hancock and Tim Coldwell. Discover how business and community leaders are building a better world through community activation, inclusive cultures, and climate leadership. Welcome to Building Good. I'm your host, Tim Coldwell. And today I'm excited to be talking about this idea of courage, having the courage to choose the right career for you, even when that role is traditionally held by people who don't look like you. Because everyone deserves joy and fulfillment in their work. At Shanos, we have this vision to be one of the first contractors in North America that looks like the society in which we operate. It's great to see more women in construction. We desperately need more. Uh, today, we have a really special guest, Kathy Takaro, and she's going to share her journey. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's jump into it. You have an incredible career, Kathy. Tell us a little bit about your history and why you're so motivated to help other people by sharing your experiences. Okay, I got a little bit of a story, just saying. I was a nurse for 13 years, and when I was the age of 42, I had a massive crash and burn mental health-wise. And that was due to literally a lifetime of uh, untreated trauma and abuse from years gone by. Example, I was sexually molested as a child. I've, had, I've been raped multiple times. I was gang raped when I was 19. I suffered from a few suicide attempts pap, right after that issue. My way of dealing with it was to not deal with it. <laughs> you know how you put it in that vault and you just pretend that, oh, that didn't happen. You know what? Whatever. It happened a long time ago. Career ahead of me. Whatever happened in the past happened in the past. That's it. So, but what that did was that that left me with this, this really deep-rooted, low self-esteem from all these untreated issues. And I finally escaped in 2007. And I remember I got on the bus and I had to, I had a 36-hour drive from Yukon to Edmonton. And on that bus, I called for a job and I called for my friend for a house to, place to stay. And in that second, when I got those things lined up, I immediately put on that mask and shifted and saying, you know what? doesn't matter. I'm a survivor. I'm a tough cookie. It's all good. (laughs) So I go back to nursing. And within a year, that was it. I show up on night shift and I'm looking at my sheet. I got 10 people to take care of. And you got to understand I'm 42 and I just, I'm exhausted, mentally exhausted. I'm putting one foot in front of the other to get a paycheck. But am I ready and mentally capable for work? No. So I look at my sheet and I couldn't read my list anymore. And I knew right then and there that I was completely done, that I couldn't pretend that I was okay. I couldn't pretend that I'm a tough cookie. And Mm. I went from the medical unit down to the psychiatric unit in my scrubs. I quit my job. And in between the two, I lost my mind. And I uh, literally, it's as if that 40 years of pain came gushing out. And from that moment, like I ended up going to talk to a psychiatric guy and, uh, He sent me to treatment. He said, it's not, you know, no happy pills are going to make a difference in your life. You have to look at your life. And that Mm. was, this is in 2008. And that was the beginning of my career choices that have led me to today (laughs) driving the biggest truck in the world. Now, there's another story in that, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) Yeah. So it's an amazing story. Was there an event that, or was there one particular thing that led to you saying, I've got to make the change? Or was it just that moment when you were in the hospital and your scrubs looking at the list? 
Was there anything else that was going on? What did it feel like at that moment when you made that decision well, to make a change? Changes doesn't happen overnight. There's a series of events that occurred that led me to be sitting here talking to you today. <laughs> the biggest event was, although I went to get the help that I needed back in 2008, it wasn't enough because I had 42 years of layers upon layers upon layers that were, some were so deeply enrooted, I had absolutely forgotten about what had happened. So when I, I came back to nursing after, and I ended up relapsing, I, I began to drink. I was such an alcoholic, I was a wicked, wicked alcoholic. I had no mm. sense of, con I had no idea of how to deal with all these emotions of things that were going on. And I ended up losing my career. I ended up uh, losing everything I own. My 16-year-old daughter wouldn't talk to me. I slashed my arm in a drunken moment that I do not remember. And I ended up standing beside a completely homeless on the street, standing beside Toothless Joe. And mm. this guy, this was my defining moment because he's all drunk and happy. And I'm seven days of complete depression, shuffling my feet like a zombie, wondering, I'm educated. How the heck did I end up homeless? Like, how does this even happen? So what happened was I, uh, Toothless Joe slapped me on the back and he goes, this is the life, live it, love it. And uh, <laughs> when he did that, that was my moment because I call it a God smack because time actually slowed down and I saw for once my very like crystal clear, my very dismal surroundings. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what did you just say? <laughs> I said, this yeah. is not my life. I don't care what you think is okay, bud, but this is not my life. I even stomped my foot. <laughs> I turned around and I went to detox to the hospital. And then I, from there, I went to a women's program called uh, Wellspring through the Hope Mission in Edmonton. Mm. And it was there that I actually started to, you live, it's a women's program. You live in a house for a year and you, you have recovery treatment on anger management, boundaries, codependency, self-esteem, all these things to unlearn all the lies that were fed into me and relearn who Kathy really was. But the biggest part of that was accepting it. And through them, they had told me, well, they had suggested that maybe taking care of other people wasn't necessarily a good idea, that maybe I should learn to take care of myself first. Yeah. So to look at other career changes. So I ended up going to a career planning workshop. This is where after three days of uh, aptitude tests and personality tests, I mean, let me tell you one thing. How do you change careers at 42? It's very, very difficult. I was a nurse for 13 years. That's all I knew. That's all I loved. I mean, I, my whole identity was in that nursing hat and my yeah. uniform and my scrubs. Yeah. That's yeah. who I am. Take that away. I was like empty and raw and vulnerable. And I didn't know. So after this career, the, the, the third day, the lady comes up to me and she gives me my sheet back. And in big block letters, it said heavy equipment operator. I laughed so hard. I just about fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, okay. That, I said, that's the most ridiculous career change I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so I give her back the sheet and I said, look, I said, I'm 42. I'm a woman. I don't even like equipment. I'm not mechanically inclined. And that's a man's job. I said, yeah. your test is wrong. And so she gives it back to me, puts a, a hand on her hip, raises the eyebrow and gives me the look and says, if only you'd believe in yourself a little bit, Missy, <laughs> you'd see the test is right. So she puts on this video, Les Brown, It's Possible. And I went from sitting with my arms crossed thinking this is BS, there's no way I'm going to be a heavy equipment operator, that's ridiculous, to yeah. actually opening up my mind and my heart to thinking 
well, there's possibilities. You know, I am a good driver and maybe there's other avenues that I could explore. So I actually entertained the thought that, okay, maybe I'll give it a try. So she sent me to Women Building Futures, which is by far the best place in Canada. I think every woman looking for a career change should go there. And that is where the first day I walked into the doors, I was blessed because Imperial Oil just happened to be there. Talk about coincidence. They were offering a pilot project that had never been offered before in Canada, bringing women into the the site where they were sponsoring a 12-week course. And it was $18,000 per woman for the course. I mean, they were taking 16 women. I mean, that's a big commitment on their part. 170 women applied. I applied and I got picked. And I say the only reason I got picked is because I was one of the few women that was so bound and determined. I mean, I had nothing left to lose, right? So I went above and beyond to make sure that I stood out, that I got picked. And I ultimately, I did. I I took the 16-week course and didn't hire everybody, but out of the 16, they hired 11 people and I got hired. And I got to say it, it changed my life. Operating equipment is awesome. Yeah. We do a lot of work with Women Building Futures. It's a great organization. I did a panel with the executive director about a year ago. And, you know, in a sidebar, you know, before we got off the stage, uh, there was a bit of a conversation. Like, what's the main challenge? You know, it's great, great women in great jobs um, and new roles and, and, you know, get them going. And she shared with me that one of the challenges was staying in the role and that many of the women who are placed um, in the construction industry leave the industry after a couple or a few years. And I think that turns into a conversation around leadership in terms of uh, organizational preparedness for women in non-traditional roles. And I know you work with Imperial. Um, So can you just tell us a bit of a story about what it was like working with Imperial. And did you face, you know, adversity or challenges and, you know, entering the organization and, and being in a non-traditional role? Or in other words, really, did you get pushback and nonsense from some of the guys? Given my history, that was my biggest concern because there's so much violence and so many issues. And I mean, I grew up in fear. And so entering a role where it's mostly male dominated, I mean, at Mm -hmm. the time I was the third woman hired on my crew, it was intimidating. But the desire to change my life overruled any fear and insecurity that I had. So regardless if I was shaking in my boots, I'm doing this, right? Mm, (laughs) Also because it was a golden opportunity. I mean, this is an opportunity of a lifetime that I could get there. Once I got to site, I got to tell you, they don't prepare you enough in training because we train on small equipment. <laughs> For the listeners, I drive literally the biggest truck in the world. And the first day on site, I'm standing there. And actually the picture, the cover on my book is literally my first day there. I got this green hard hat and I haven't even been on the truck. I'm standing beside the stair, the stairwell and the tire, which is, by the way, the tire alone is 14 feet high. I am five foot six, so it's more than twice my size. Anyways, I'm standing there and I got my, you know, my thumb in the air and I'm actually crying in the picture because I'm looking at this thinking, oh my dear God. <laughs> and then I said, if only Toothless Joe could see me now. <laughs> to, to kind of give you a better visual. Okay, so imagine you're in a pickup and you're on the road driving along and over the crest of the hill, you see two and a half story high monster of a machine it it's weighing in at two million pounds of metal 
carrying 400 tons of dirt on its back. And it's coming barreling down the road at you, 70 miles an hour, these things go. I mean, do you not hope and pray that operator is having a good day? Yeah. <laughs> if that operator's focused on the road and not the problems at home? Yeah. I mean, you sure do. Just getting into the role at work, Imperial has been phenomenal. To get back to your question, with not, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it's your skill set. It's how you do your job, how safely you approach your work. It, that is more important than whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And organizationally, it, it's just interesting how the unconscious bias bubbles up. You know, there's a few ways that that can manifest itself. You know, one thing that, you know, I even caught myself doing is, you know, you're in the office and it's time to go for lunch or whatever. And you go round up a few of the guys. And, you, you know, what ends up happening is without even knowing it, all the guys are going out having lunch because a lot of the men are project managers, and then a lot of the women are hanging out at lunch. And we've got uh, women project coordinators and project managers. And so for whatever reason, there's just no thought about, well, we should think about it. this as an employee lunch, as opposed to, I'm just going to go get some of the, some of the, my buddies. And, and I think this idea of, you know, being thoughtful about those sorts of things um, in the workplace is really important. You know, another stat that I'd throw out there or another, maybe a story is a better way of framing it. The statistics on men will ask for the promotion when they're only half ready. And whereas a woman will wait until she's totally ready for the promotion. So, you know, me in a management role, we get a long, you know, queue of guys out the door, thumping on their chest, asking for the promotion. I think part of the, the change that you need to, or the change you need to see as a leader is just being aware that, women will not always ask. And maybe what we should do as leaders is go tap some people on the shoulder and say, hey, we've got this opportunity. We'd love for you to put your name in the hat. Um, let's have a conversation. And just being aware of those biases is really important in the workplace. So what I took from your story about Imperial is that they just did not let any of the nonsense to occur. Give a little bit more color on what it means for them to have zero tolerance in terms of some nonsense? Okay, well, it starts from the get-go because when you're in the interview process, there's actually four sets of uh, pairs, uh, managers who are interviewing the person. So you'll sit in one, you'll be with two people, and then you'll go to, you'll jump to another meeting room, you'll be with two other people, and you kind of do that. And then everybody, the managers group up after, and then they kind of decide what's what. They interview mm. eight people for every role, for every person that they hire, yeah. right? So they really, really choose the best of the best. And I'm not saying experience-wise. I'm talking attitude-wise. I'm talking a willing to learn. Even though you have 20 years of experience, can you accept constructive crit criticism? It's all that is where they're at. Because they create a community, a family, a way of, you know, because we're there. I'm there half of my life since I've been there for the last seven years, literally. Mm. This is my family. So they create an environment where you feel safe to voice whatever it is you have to voice. And if there's any comment at all, any feelings of discomfort, the case is looked at and you'll be fired. Yeah. yeah. There's absolutely zero tolerance. And that's any type of harassment, any type of verbal, anything, anything at all. And so yeah. I feel it's amazing. They're absolutely amazing. You know, I, I think that's the key takeaway from that is, 
you just cannot allow that to occur. And when you see it in an organization, you have to root it out. And that's just the only yeah. way forward. That's great. Another question for you, you know, mental health is not something that's talked about often in the construction industry. You know, there's the stereotype of uh, we're going to be tough and we're not going to talk about it. And I know that you're very passionate about this, obviously, from your story. Can you talk a little bit more about why mental health is such an important topic? It all boils down to that moment when I was at the nursing station and I couldn't read my sheet. Mm. And that has stayed with me because I wasn't taking care of my own mental health. I'm taking care of everybody else's. And that led me to crash and burn and just, you know, just unravel. Well, today, why it's so important to me is because people are almost bred into believing that it's not that you can't talk about these things and you have to live behind this white picket fence. Well, it never occurs to people that maybe their coworker might not even have a fence, <laughs> that maybe they might be so far off left field, you know, looking for a goat trail to get back home because they're lost, because yeah. life is hard. And I'm not just, I'm talking about putting on that mask at work that everything is fine, when in reality, it's not. And the biggest part of, for me for that was, I'll give you an example, was at work. When my book was about to come out, I wrote the book for women in shelters and women that are struggling and, you know, domestic violence and people yeah. with sexual abuse and rapes and all this thing, that frame of mind. Yeah. So it was about to come out and I realized, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> everybody <laughs> at work is going to know. <laughs> yeah. Like I couldn't sleep for three days. Like it just, it bothered me so much because all the people at work knew was that, oh, Kathy was a nurse and look how happy she is. And, you know, da, da, da. She's just a bubble of light. And that's the way I am because that's really, it's not a mask. It's just because I've dealt with all my trauma and I'm good now. Yeah. Well, when I realized that on the third day, I said, you know what? Wait a minute. Don't tell me these big tough guys don't have problems, right? Maybe their brother committed suicide. Maybe their mom died of cancer. Maybe their sister whatever, right? They, yeah, maybe yeah. they were assaulted when they were young and nobody knows. Yeah. Well, so I went in front of my crew and on the big TV screens that we have in the meetings, I put the cover of my book on there and I said, listen, I said, you see that book? I said, it's not about mining. It has nothing to do with mining. And I said, so I proceeded to tell them, you know, I said, this happened to me when I, you know, when I was young and this happened to me and that's why I wrote the book. And I want you to hear it from me, not from a third party. And I said, I'm not asking you to read the book, but what I'm asking you to do is that if you know someone who's struggling with depression, who's struggling with suicidal tendencies or with past sexual abuse trauma or whatever it is, yeah. maybe pay it forward to them. Because maybe all it'll take is one sentence in that book that will click and they will go take the next step and go get the help that they need. Yeah. Well, by my doing that, by my showing myself vulnerable in front of my own team, there's 170 of us, like it was very difficult. But by my doing that, what that did was open the door to conversations, other things than how's the weather, what'd you do on days off, right? Now people are actually not just talking to me, but they're talking amongst themselves about real things. I had people from every single department, even people from a corporate office contact me to say, hey, my kid's really struggling right now. I'd like to buy your book and Hopefully something will be there and it'll help inspire them. Mm. And to me, that is priceless because now people are recognizing that it's okay to admit that you're not okay. Right? It's yeah. okay to say that I'm having a rough time. I got some stuff going on at home and, you know, my kid's struggling and blah, blah, blah. Well, 
it's okay to, yeah. to share that. It makes you real and it doesn't make you, you know, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, certainly in the construction industry, you know, there's a lot of men in the industry and men don't do well with being vulnerable and sharing their feelings in many instances. And so there's not a lot of that just by nature of the, or the composition of the workforce. Even more rare to see vulnerability in leadership. You know, I've got a bit of a theory in our industry. I'm educated as a professional engineer. And I distinctly remember one of the very first classes I took, University of Alberta, and there was this whole kind of conversation about, well, as a professional engineer, you're expected to have the answers. It's your job to have the answers. And people will look to you for the answers. And so you go through university and for four or five years, you get it pounded into your head that you're supposed to have the answer. And you get out and you see this whole thing that goes on with the young engineer graduates. They don't know anything other than what's in a textbook. And mm -hmm. they're so scared to say, I don't know. Like, so you're so scared to say, I don't know you know, on some technical question on, you know, an indeterminate beam or something on a structural analysis, you can't even drag, I don't know, out of them there. But then to get vulnerable and, you know, stand up in front of a group and talk about childhood trauma, that's a whole other uh, piece. And, and so um, I think what I'm taking from your story is that leaders should model the behavior they want to see. And so if you believe that mental health is a key issue in the workplace, you should be comfortable with being vulnerable and talking about your own challenges. Is, is that what you're saying? And might you maybe unpack that a little bit more. You know, it's exactly what I'm saying because yeah. I'll tell you one thing from a big company that we are every morning, we sit in a safety toolbox for 15 minutes. And when you have, over the last seven years, there's different kinds of leaders that show up, right? Mm -hmm. And some will be there with the big tough guy image and this and that, and it's a power trip sort of thing. Yeah. And then you'll get the other one, and you immediately shut down. You immediately say, yeah, no, I'm not listening to that guy. Yeah. Or you get the <laughs> other one who'll come up front and say, you know what? Wife is dying of cancer right now, and I'm really struggling. So if I'm not always there, just please remind me or please give me a call or talk to me. Or, and they even admitted to, be, to using employee assistance program themselves. There's nothing mm. wrong with that. So by them being vulnerable in front of the crew as a leader, it yeah. automatically breaks down your own walls and say, hey, man, that, that guy's got some guts. And I respect that. And I'm going to follow that. And I'm going to be right there. And I'll do the best that I can be to help him. Yeah. There's a yeah, big I, difference. Yeah. That humble leadership where you don't where it's okay to say you don't have the answers you don't have it figured out yeah and you're relying on the team to help you get there you know that's a really powerful uh way of leading for sure question for you about just kind of what would you say to women that are considering a career in the trades and before you answer that i'll just you know a little bit of context um the construction industry is at a crossroads around the world frankly in that there are not a lot of people in junior high who are excited about going into the construction industry. There's declining enrollment in the trades and um, the need for construction work is increasing exponentially. It tracks with population and we have an aging infrastructure in Canada. Uh, so our need for great people is off the charts yet. There's not very many people going into it. So what would you say to people considering career in the trades and more specifically, 
women considering uh, a career in the trades? I'm going to speak from my own personal experience. Yeah. Um, just my time in Women Building Future. Take that as a great example because I'm coming in there as a nurse and totally unaware of anything in the trades because I had so shut it out of my, my whole consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> and I got there and man, was I surprised. Those 16 women that were picked with me that I spent 12 weeks with, one was a 26-year staff sergeant veteran from the Edmonton Police Force. Uh, one was a Red Seal chef. Uh, that has tri- worked all over the country, all over the, the world, I should say. Um, another, there was two people from the military. We had a lady from the post office, a, a postal worker. We had a housewife and we had myself. Yeah. Well, every single case, every single woman in there, it was really going on shaky grounds, but the desire to change, the desire to try something new. And every, like, there's, some of them are still working there with me and they think it's the best career change ever. For me, what it has done, it has personally given me a voice, learning to speak on the radio. I've never had a voice. It was very difficult for me to to even say boo. Now you can't shut me up. (laughs) But (laughs) the biggest, most single important thing is that it's given me self-confidence. And I can, I can accept challenges now. I can, I believe in myself. It gave me a spine. I have a backbone and say, hey, man. I can do this. And that to me is priceless to get on a piece of equipment because now I run a whole bunch of different pieces of equipment. I'm training on the grader right now and it's the the 24 M it's the biggest grader in the world. And to get on that thing has been so challenging. Oh my God, I make like a hundred mistakes a day, but I don't give up. I keep on trying. I go watch more more YouTube videos, but it's learning to work through your own mindset and learning by that what i mean is that if i'm gonna say well i'm not gonna had i made that decision seven years ago that oh this is not the career for me there's i wouldn't be where i am today but if by looking at your own biases and saying okay well why am i stopping myself what is it about me that i need to work on to change my point of view well it broadens your your whole horizons on the opportunities that can come your way but like today I can't even begin to tell you the change that has occurred in me because of this job. It's empowering. So anybody that's looking for a career change, it might be scary, but it's not going to kill you. I mean, it's worth the challenge to say, you know what? I may be 43 or 45 or 50. It doesn't matter. It's not too late. You say it's too late. Whatever you tell yourself is what's going to happen. If you say, I don't care about my age, it's just a number and I'm going to try this. I'm going to live the last 15 years of my life operating the coolest equipment in the world, well, then you do it. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, no, you know what? I'm 50. I'm too old to change. I'm just going to stay in my job that I'm miserable at because it's comfortable. Yeah. Right? There, yeah. There's a big difference. It's all in how you, you view it. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I want to just take, go back and just revisit this. You've got this very compelling story, a crucible moment. You know, you find yourself women building futures and you get a job with Imperial. The thing that's really interesting, I want to dig in a little bit more, is Imperial had this view that, as you call the person, big, tough, loudmouth guy, I sometimes refer to that as the bro culture. They're all slapping each other on the back and making jokes and <laughs> giggling and tee-hee-heeing and whatnot, and uh, a little bit frat boyish, right? It seems to me that that kind of behavior completely unacceptable in the world of Imperial. And so they prepared their workplace for women in non-traditional roles 
uh, with that kind of a leadership position. Now, question for you, what would have happened if you had showed up and that wasn't the environment and there was a whole bunch of loud mouth guys making dirty jokes and et cetera? What would your response have been? And I think the sad part about this is that that's the uh, reality for many women in the trades. What would you have done personally if you had experienced that? And what would you say to other women who may experience that in the workplace right now? At the time, I was really, really shaky with my self-esteem. Mm. It was very vulnerable. I was just learning, oh my God, that I can do this, that all the lies that have been fed into me, that I'm useless, that I'm a waste of skin, that I'm a piece of crap and I pollute the air and all the lies. It was still kind of there, but when I would get on equipment, it turns out all the instructors would say, oh my God, are you sure you've never been on equipment before? I mean, everything that I do, it's, I was a natural at it. It just mm. came like operating, loading a truck from an excavator. I mean, I've never done that before. And I'm loading as if I'd done it prior. Like the instructor was literally jumping up and down, waving, like laughing. He says, oh my God, you're awesome. Well, yeah. that inspired me to, yeah, okay, maybe I can do this. Yeah. But having gone into a place that wouldn't be like Imperial, I'm not sure if I would have been able to last at that time. It had it been very vile. I was learning to have a voice and stand up for myself, but Imperial doesn't, it's not a, a place where an environment where that even comes up. So it's not an mm-hmm. issue, but being somewhere else, I guess it, you know what? I can't say that I would quit because I'm a very, very determined person and yeah. determined to change. And so I would have probably just found a way to deal with it because like I said earlier, my desire to change my life, it overruled everything. It's hard to describe for me because I have this fire inside yeah. that pushes me, that drives me every day to keep doing more. No, this, I got to do this. I got to do this. And not everybody has that, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. ultimately, I think the answer to that is basically people, women who are, who are getting confronted in this, you have to stop and look at yourself first and foremost. Yeah. Where do you stand? What do you need to change? What is you need to work on? Okay, what is your weaknesses? How can I fix it? How can I grow? That is what enabled me to be where I am today. It really did. That's that time away to self-reflect and deal with the, the issues. I mean, it was very important foundation. Yeah, it's telling in that if, you know, what I'm taking from that is if uh, the workplace was not ready for someone like you, you probably would have persevered and stuck with it, but many wouldn't have, and many would have left because life's too short to deal with the frat boy who's in your face. Yeah. And then, you know, in some other instances, there may have been, it could even lead to a kind of a relapse, for lack of a better term from a mental health standpoint and kind of triggering events. So you got to be very thoughtful about the workplace that you're designing and -hmm. the workplace that you're building from a cultural standpoint as a leader of an organization. I think that's a really powerful story. You've got some really exciting things coming up in your future. Tell us about what you've got planned here. Boy, do I ever. <laughs> Holy. Well, okay. I first, when I wrote the book, that was the initial thing. I was just going to write a book, get my story out. That's it. Not think any more thing of it. But now it's just one thing has led to another. I just, people, because in my book, 
I base it on, yes, it's a little bit of my story, but I base it on the emotions that go with it. So chapter one is on fear. I talk about a little bit about what I was growing up and then I talk about fear itself and I give suggestions and solutions on how to deal with that. And then if there's four or five questions at the end of every chapter for the reader to actually look at themselves and start doing some work on that on them. Mm. So I got fear, loneliness, you know, despair, all these things. So people um, have been commenting on my website to, they wanted more questions. So now I've been releasing, I started the Dream Big Workbook, which accompanies the, the, the book. So I've released chapter one and two so far. I'm currently on chapter three working. It'll be released uh, within the month. And so that, what that is, is just a deeper, there's 20 questions per chapter and there's a lot of uh, reflection things. And it, it's for, for the person to, if, who wants to really figure themselves out and change. So I got that on the go. Well, then when I was standing in Grenada, I do a lot of charity work. I mean, a lot of charity work. <laughs> I uh, was down in Grenada. I found out that there was, uh, through my book, that there was a lot of uh, sexual abuse going down. So I had time off. So I, uh, well, my days off, my schedules are, I used to work 10 and 10, but now it's 16 days on. and 16. So I was down there and I, I was in a church with 138 students. And a lot of these kids are being sexually abused. And it, it's just awful. But the love that they have is beautiful. So I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I can't give them my book. It's not appropriate. Like it's not for like, so I got to write them a book yeah. <laughs> for them because you can't really change a social structure yet. My ultimate goal is with the, the money from the books is I'm going to be building an orphanage down in Grenada specifically for them and for build a safe haven for women. So now I just released last week the book that I wanted to write two years ago for them. It's called The Mystical Swordsman of the Subman, which is God. It's an ancient, it's a Sanskrit word, basically about a young girl's story of abuse and how she cries to God for help. And God comes to her in the form of dreams and, and you know, gives her the tools and all that. So it's really good. I'm very, very proud of that. That's awesome. But, uh, it is. But this book has led me to speak for Caterpillar, like I was saying earlier. And that brought me to India for Caterpillar. I had a all expense trip to India last year, working, I did a whole bunch of things there. I mean, they brought me to Nepal. It was phenomenal. I went to Singapore for Caterpillar. Africa, cool. now that my book just got released in French, the Ivory Coast, which is all French, I'll be going to Africa over there. Yeah. And I'll also be working because Caterpillar, they started a, a pipeline over there for so that little girls that are going to get water they don't get raped and killed on the way so caterpillar built a pipeline from the pumps all the way to the villages so which is phenomenal so i'll be working with the organization international organization women of africa while i'm there so that's super exciting but now the my book is coming out in spanish in two weeks just working on the media kit today it's finished and very exciting <laughs> and uh finning the, the CEO of Finning uh, had introduced me at the CAT conference, women conference a couple of years ago. And he said, the minute your book's out in Spanish, you call me and we'll get you a book launch down there. So I messaged him a couple of weeks ago and I said, hey, Sebastian, here we go. And he said, absolutely, get me the kit and we'll start working on the mining communities down in Chile. Yeah. So that's phenomenal. And this is the best of all best. The Ellen Show called me in March. They were holding my book in their hands. So who... But then COVID hit, so now everything's yeah. on hold. So I'm not sure what's going to come out with that. But I, I also won a couple of awards last year for um, an, being an ambassador for women in heavy equipment. And through them, through the company, it's called Construct Tech down in uh, Chicago. Okay. Uh, there's yeah. a, another company 
they work with with them and their producers down in Hollywood. And they called me three weeks ago wanting to have me as a cast member on a reality show. So awesome. how cool is that? All about equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and I told the, the, the producer, I said, are you sure? I said, you realize the equipment that I run, you can't run that on an open road, right? <laughs> so, but he says, no, 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 it's not just that. Anyway, so yeah, I'm going down in August uh, to Malibu to meet them. So who knows That's where awesome. that'll go. Kathy, your story is an absolute inspiration to me. Um, You've shown us that someone can have a career in a role that's traditionally held by people who don't look like you. You had the courage to make that choice. And now look at the great things you're doing. You're going on TV shows. You're traveling all over the world. You're an inspiration to many. And I can tell that you found joy. And I hope that you're a great inspiration for all of our listeners. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Building Good with Jen Hancock and Tim Coldwell. Learn more at www.buildinggood.ca and join us as we catch up with another inspirational leader who is building a better world on next week's episode.